welcome to episode 37 of the Brown and Black podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike, I just saw this news on Twitter about this film critic. And you know, we're film critics. And it has to do with a hot movie called Promising Young Woman. It's the talk of a lot of film critics heading into all these award shows. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? Carrie yes. Mulligan is part of it, and it's been nominated for a Golden Globe. There's a lot of award buzz around this film um and seems to be variety has a critic by the name of dennis harvey who's been working there for years he's about 60 years old he's gay he made a comment and that comment said the following mulligan a fine actress seems a bit of an odd choice as this admittedly many layered apparent film fatale margot robbie is a producer here and one can perhaps too easily imagine the role might once have been intended for her where areas with this star cassie wears her pickup bait gear like bad drag even her long blonde hair seems a put on this is his opinion film critics have opinions. They're not journalists. They're providing an opinion about a movie that they feel hits it on the nail or doesn't. And what ended up happening is that Carrie Mulligan herself saw it and had beef with it and mentioned it in a New York Times interview back in December. But it got to the point that the National Film Critics Society had to tell Variety to submit an apology and remove the, the film criticism of the film off of variety, which is, as you know, those things do not happen. You don't just take down an article of a major publication because somebody had a beef with it. The quote is about the film and about the actress and whether she was cast appropriately. So I can see his point, but I can also see the point which is not as strong from Carrie Mulligan, who took offense that she's not that hot. Here's what I think happened. This guy didn't say she was hot, but he, I guess, in her mind, alluded to it. That's her interpretation of it. I think she might have an insecurity about her own looks. Maybe she looks at Margot Robbie and looks at herself and says, I I don't stack up, you know? And then this brings to light definitions around beauty. And what is beauty? How do we see beauty? Is anyone ever ugly or does ugliness even exist is everything beautiful mike here's the thing about beauty and beauty standards and the beholder is really to me where the definition comes in the beholder if culture if a white culture tells you certain things are attractive then that's what's attractive if straight hair and and thin hips or flat chest if that's twiggy is what's popular in the 60s that's beauty. If Marilyn Monroe is zoptic or voluptuous, and that's beauty has changed over time. And the beholder is the culture and what it holds and represents at the time. For women, and I'm speaking as a man, I think for women, it's a huge battle. I mean, black women lighten their skin, get their noses changed and wear weaves to have straight hair, while white women get a perm to have frizzy hair get injections in their lips and their butts to make their butts bigger and their lips bigger and lay in a tanning salon to look like the very same women who are trying to look like them. A lot of that has to do with the media as well, Mike. The editor-in-chief, let's say, of Elle magazine or Marie Claire magazine or People magazine or Vogue, they're the ones setting up the standards. And at that point, it's not really about the colonizers. It's about the gatekeepers, Mike. Again, the gatekeepers are generally the colonizers. I mean, they created the gates or there wouldn't yeah, be. Yeah, but you could create a, uh, uh, you could be the gatekeeper of a magazine. I mean, this podcast to a certain extent is a form of gatekeeping, you know, and we, we, we select and curate guests that come on here, you know, depending on what we see. So if this was a black magazine, the beauty standards would probably change, correct? Yeah, we're the curators, the curators. We are giving our opinion, our view, our point of view. That's what a critic does. A critic gives a point of view, an opinion. The other side of that is, is he allowed 
to have an opinion? Is he allowed to criticize a film in the way he wants? When I came into being a film critic and, and what I grew up thinking of a film critic was Roger Ebert. It's called the Shawshank Redemption, and Shawshank is the name of a and prison. Siskel and Ebert, and, and this whole idea that a film critic was someone who is no less educated about film than a filmmaker. They are someone that can judge film on the merits of a film by understanding film. Roger Ebert won a freaking Pulitzer, okay? That says a lot about who he is as a writer. To me, that's a bar and that's a standard. I, I think every film critic should want to aspire to that. In the beginning of the 21st century, the internet happened. At a certain point, everybody's a critic. Anybody can be, anybody with an opinion and a computer can be a film critic. And thus, film sites were born, all kinds of, it changed the whole game. And the movie studios allowed it, and their publicity departments were reaching out to, the, you know, the guy who has one follower and made him legitimate. I've been in the business long enough to remember when online was the, the bastard stepchild of, like, they didn't know where to put them. Are, <laughs> yeah, they, with, are they with print? Are they with radio? We throw them wherever yeah. we could. Now, online, not only does it dominate, but in the last five years, I've gone to a mommy blogger screening, okay, where everybody there, they're not film critics, but they're mommy bloggers. So they are an influencer. So if an influencer and any film or theater or book critic is an influencer, that's what they do. You're giving something two stars, three stars, thumbs up. You're, you're an influencer. You're influencing whether people will go see that movie. If you trash it, people might not see it. If you give it a great review, people might see it. So bottom line, that's what a critic does. A critic is an influencer. Now, if an influencer is not allowed to have an opinion, then what the hell are we doing? But at the same time, like I said, if the bar is lowered, if you've got people commenting, not to say that this guy did, but if you've got people commenting on things that have nothing to do with the film, oh, I never forgot a fellow critic of ours, and I, I won't name names, said to me after seeing Tom Cruise in what's arguably one of his better roles, a film called Collateral, they said, ah, Tom Cruise, he's just a haircut. Now, I didn't even understand what that meant, but I did know that he dismissed this film because he did not like Tom Cruise. So that's part of what's happened to film criticism. It has become personal attacks. You don't like this actor. You don't like this actress. You trash them. You don't even talk about their performance. You talk about who they are outside of it. Oh, he's a Scientologist. He's this. That's why certain actors are so private about their personal life, because they don't want that to obscure whatever performance they're doing. Now, coming back to this guy, I think he was talking about the film. The, the lens, the gaze, the, the standard he's going by is his own personal standard. He's not judging her for her looks so much, but her believability in the role. And I will add, as a male, and maybe I'll be deemed sexist, when they swapped out Katie Holmes for Maggie Gyllenhaal in Batman, I'll never forget going to a screening, and I'm in the audience, the Joker comes in, confronts Bruce Wayne, and he says, well, hello, beautiful. And somebody in the audience yells out, no, she's not. Okay. Wow. Now, what does that mean? That meant for that viewer, her playing the character of somebody whose beauty is enough to make supervillains desire them. He didn't buy it. But that's just his opinion. You could call it sexist. You... But is that opinion valid, Mike? That's the question. Is that opinion valid? He's not a film critic, but he's a film viewer. This is a different age, too. It's not just the individual's opinion who matters. This is variety, though. Right. This is a major industry. If not the oldest in the original trade magazine. Variety and Hollywood Reporter are like the original trade magazines that have been around forever. Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. That's where you want your film reviewed. That's where you want your performance reviewed. That's where you really want to get the respect. If I said to you, Jack, you're a big fat slob. You're like, what are you talking about? I've been working out this whole time. I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm in better shape than I was 20 years ago. It wouldn't mean anything to you. But if I said, Jack, you know, something that you secretly feel about yourself, then that resonates with you. I think Carrie does have some issues or else this comment this criticism wouldn't even resonate it would be roll off her back exactly um it's the same way of saying hey margot robbie you're ugly i don't think margot robbie would be like 
right. I am. Exactly. I don't think she would even herself believe it because she's looking at herself every day in the mirror. But maybe somebody has some physical insecurities. Now, beauty isn't necessarily always universal. What our eyes register as beauty is... Symmetry. When you see something symmetrical, gives the brain this cue where it goes, oh, that's beautiful. And then there's other faces that do not register like that in the brain. How do you ignore that feeling? Now, if you're a film critic and you don't think some, if the whole role is about being sexual and beautiful and they cast somebody who's not sexual or beautiful or has never played a sexual or a beautiful role in her life before, the critic, the fan are going to go, huh, we're brainwashed, we're manipulated, we're programmed to think that beauty is Margot Robbie, for example. And if you don't look like Margot Robbie, then you will not be on this cover of Vanity Fair. And if that is the standard, then you have to cast appropriately because then somebody else that does not look like those people, we now have to force ourselves, force, not effortlessly, but force ourselves to see what everyone else wants to see that they don't see immediately. I've been obsessed with Clubhouse, Mike. Uh, and it all started with you. I got a text from you. Hi, Jack. It's Mike. I'd like for you to join Clubhouse. And I said, what the hell is this? Like, this doesn't sound like Mike wrote it. It's in my text. I'm like reading it. And I go, this doesn't sound like something that Mike would write. It's an automatic thing. So the first thing I did was question the invitation. I said, is this spam? Because I also get spam on my phone. Yeah, me too. And so I had to text you and go, hey, Mike, did you send me this? And you said, yeah, I sent you that. I'm like, what, what, the, what the hell is Clubhouse? And before I joined in, I just did a little Google search. And all of a sudden, the Today Show is talking about it. The New York Times is talking about it. Hollywood Reporter. I was like, whoa, how is it that I didn't know about this? So I joined in and here's what it is essentially. Clubhouse is a social media app that was introduced in March uh, of last year, 2020. And it allows users to gather in virtual rooms where they can communicate with one another through the mics on their iPhones. It's essentially it. A lot of people are saying that it's an interactive podcast. It's like you're having a show, but with a live audience. And I thought that was really interesting. Some other people are comparing it to other things, but it's invitation only. It's only for iPhone users because for some reason they haven't figured out how to extend it over to Android. And something interesting, I started teaching a class just yesterday, and I asked all my students, about 15, 16 of them, about Clubhouse. Now, I'm thinking that I'm the old guy in the room. I'm thinking that if it's technology and app, somebody who's 18 to 22 probably grew up with it. Dude, no one that is Gen Z in my classroom had a clue. Not one hand went up. And that's when I started to go, wow. So technology isn't just for young people. It's not native just to young people. It's not like, oh man, this is so hard for us in their 40s. It's, it's triple times the hard to figure out the apps. Wait, is that how 40 people's in their 40s No, man, dude, that's my voice for anybody. That's my proxy voice for the world, all right? That's the one I like to use. It's a little bit Woody Allen. It's a little bit yeah. like, like a New Yorker from the Upper East Side. And what ended up happening is that I got sucked into it. I just got so sucked into it because, A, it's audio, so we're doing a podcast. I wonder how this could fit. And what I started noticing is that there are apps for older people. 
And this app are, is for business people and creatives. And it was essentially created by Silicon Valley for tech investors to just get together and talk. All of a sudden, Mike, black people started to join. And this was done by Felicia Horowitz, who is the wife of Ben Horowitz, a huge VC from Andresine Horowitz. So Felicia was like a heavyweight hitter who started bringing in heavyweight black artists, athletes, you know, just connections. And all of a sudden you started to see Clubhouse change. And right now you could argue that the reason that Clubhouse has become the heavyweight in the social media world that Mark Zuckerberg wants to be a part of it now. And Facebook is creating their rival for Clubhouse the way it did Instagram for Snapchat. Elon Musk is now joining and having conversations there. Uh, celebrities like Zendaya is in there. I mean, everyone's joining. Jared Leto is there. I don't think he knows even what why he's there for. We started noticing blacks and Latinos, but mainly, mainly blacks, really changing it up. And now you can argue that Clubhouse is Clubhouse built on the backs of black people. Clubhouse, to me, is just the social media equivalent of doing live radio and taking call-ins. And because we live in the a la carte society we live in, and let's face it, the, they were really smart to make it an invite-only exclusivity like only if you know somebody can you get in there it is the essence of what social media is it's fomo it's fomo it's, FOMO. it's definitely it's, it's like a red velvet rope you know that's, that's, that's there exactly. and all of a sudden it's like you can't come in unless exactly. i invite you in exactly. oh my god but i exactly. wish i was in there what i find interesting here jack is that i introduced you to clubhouse and now you're on there more <laughs> than i am so, Which is weird, because I thought you, you were like the master, you know, at Clubhouse. I should be, but uh, Jack, I, I need to know, have you fallen in love with Clubhouse? I've fallen in love. I love Clubhouse. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Okay, so here's why I like Clubhouse. Number one, it's different, right? First of all, it's audio. It's like, hmm, audio, cool. So you don't have to put on makeup. You don't Good. have to get ready and I'm beautiful. You don't all have to create that. a new persona. Uh, what I've gotten from Clubhouse is that it's it's for the older person, probably 30 onward, that is in business, that is creative, and that is being truthful. And that wants to kind of really ask, it's, it's about real talk. It's really about getting to the bottom of, hey, listen, I have a problem. Can anybody help me here? And there's a community of people that will put their voices around you, so to speak, and hug you. It's like a vocal hug that, that makes you feel amazing. And, and today, it was interesting, I get a notification about advice and encouragement. And I don't know why I clicked on it. I clicked on it and this woman said, is there any bots here? It seems like everybody's a bot. And I raised my hand. I said, I'm not a bot. Oh, hi, Jack. Who are you? All of a sudden, I see 300 people in the room and I got like 20 followers. I was like, whoa. What just happened? Wow. And I, all I did was introduce myself. I guess the credentials, the resume to go, hey, I don't have that. How did he get that? How do I learn from him? So I did notice that there was this like educational aspect, like students and teachers and everyone's learning. It's like the sharing economy, man. And I loved it. And I, I wanted to speak a lot. And then all of a sudden I asked the question about business and I was introduced to a lawyer, pro bono from Italy. I then was introduced to a white woman who is a business economic financial advisor who says, I can help you with that. We then followed each other on Instagram to continue the conversation because you, you can't continue it on Clubhouse. And they already reached out to me. Hey, any way I can help you out? All for free, Mike. All for free, Mike. And that... Th that suggested all that advice would cost you hundreds and hundreds of dollars to pay somebody. But it seems like all the advice is free here for now. Nobody knows how Clubhouse is making money. Nobody knows how, why everybody's just so okay with giving away free advice, which is the complete opposite of what happens in the real world. You have to pay for that advice. 
But here, people, whether you're poor or... There was this woman that, that said to me that she brought me on stage and she said, listen, I've been giving away free advice for 50 years, but I've gotten paid because of it. So I thought that was very interesting. That free advice will eventually get you paid somewhere else down the line. And I thought that that was cool. And that, to me, is the value of Clubhouse that now Facebook and Twitter are trying to replicate. And so is Mark Cuban, by the way. He's doing one called Fireside that supposedly is just like Clubhouse, but a little different. Yeah, they're going to play the national anthem before you sign in. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he eliminated no. that from his uh, Dallas Mavericks. Uh, yeah, but then he had to relent. Yeah, but he had to relent. So, well, a couple things to what you said. Uh, one, I think from where I'm sitting, everything old is new again. So, like I said, this is not only is this late night radio or call-in radio, which has existed forever. Uh, it's just, you know, the internet version. But I think you're right. It is there for sharing. It's there literally for networking. You know, I got invited from my daughter. Prior to me joining Clubhouse or actually having an invitation to join Clubhouse, I had been told by at least five other, four or five other people said, hey, are you on Clubhouse? Hey, you on Clubhouse? Hey, do you do Clubhouse? Hey, you, you should be on Clubhouse. Oh my God, you should be on Clubhouse. You should be on Clubhouse. And I was like, all right, what? And I happened to mention to my daughter, she's like, yeah, I'm on Clubhouse. I'm like, how am I missing out? Like you, how am I missing out on this? So I definitely think that it is the future. And I think people enjoy everything you just described, the networking, the ease of getting on people. You can slip in and out of different rooms. People mm -hmm. ping you. And here's the other thing. It's social networking because you had to know somebody there. But it's the best version. That's it's the best version of networking than Instagram. Didn't you tell me you felt Instagram was starting to die? Well, every platform has its day and then it goes away. And I think Clubhouse is the rise of a new platform. I think that Instagram, eh, it's getting a little uh, played out. I think we've all done it. It's been Instagram Live, you've done this, you've done that. Just like Facebook got played out, it'll still be there. I've always heard that movies is the king of all mediums because it combines all the mediums into one. And audio radio, it's like in last place because you can't see anybody's face. It's not as powerful. It's not as memorable. But I do notice that audio is very intimate. And there's a lot of more engagement in audio than there is in video. But why hasn't audio exploded in the last 30 years through social network? Why is it now? Why isn't, why isn't the visual medium still maintaining its, its kink status for the rest? Why is audio all of a sudden becoming bigger than video? I don't think that audio ever went away, okay? I think that what we've seen in the last five years with podcasts shows you that audio did not go away. Radio, in terms of its relevancy, declined, and it was replaced by podcasts. Podcasts have, this is like we're in the renaissance of podcasts. We're doing a podcast, but all this really is, is like I said, it's radio to go. So this is radio. The essence of radio, the essence of talk radio, the essence of community comes through being able to talk to people and interact with people in real time. And I think that visually, the reason Instagram and all these things have existed and have stayed around, all of them, is because of the filters, because of being able to obscure your reality, to project a reality. So that is married to it. But here's what you can do now, especially now that we're all sitting at home. People don't even want to talk on the phone. They all want to Zoom. Hey, let's do a Zoom. I'm like, what happened to talking on the phone? Ah, they want to Zoom. See, they, because they want to see your face. They Mike. want to see your face. So. They don't want to listen to you anymore. And that's why this Clubhouse thing, to me, is like weird. Stay with me. Okay. So they everybody wants to Zoom. Everybody's sitting in front of a computer. Everybody's got on Instagram. Everybody's on Facebook. Everybody's on Snapchat, TikTok. But guess what? What? If you go on Clubhouse, you can be laying in bed, you can have crackers all over your mouth, you can be half naked, you can be in the shower and listen. Are you saying that that's, all, that that's who we all are? I'm saying that it's a break from having to be on, from having to be in front of, having to look at anything. You can, you can listen yeah. to Clubhouse with headphones and the lights out and a candle going. Who cares? You can shut down your visual and enjoy the audio. And it's like... Putting your headsets on, 
putting your AirPods on, walking out to the train station or going for a run and all of a sudden putting a podcast. But imagine if in that podcast you're listening to, you can actually join in live. That is why I think it is. Wow. That is so cool. And then get information right there. And then instead of having to spend 45 minutes reading an article, 45 minutes, you know, like checking out five different YouTubes to get to that one answer. It's there already. You just spend some time raising your hand, asking a question. There's like three, four people that want to help you out. And let me. I've never seen anything like this. Well, you have seen it, but here's what it doesn't have what you're not subjected to and forced to watch or listen is ads. There's there's no ads. You go on Facebook, there's an ad. You go on Instagram, you scroll, there's an ad. If you go on, everything has an ad. There's ads, there's ads, there's pop-up. If you're reading on your phone, there's a pop-up. There's ads, there's ads, there's ads, there's ads. Ads everywhere, except Clubhouse. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is a lot of people have been saying, yeah. well, how are they making money? Mike, would you pay $10 a month, 5 to $10 a month for no ads and to actually join a place that you can in real time increase well, your network value, talk to people that can help you figure out your business or your problems in your life, right? Whatever they may be, there's, there's, there's a room for that. And, you know, to keep it private, and respectful. I think I would pay for that. I think I would pay for that. I don't think it'll go to a pay model. I don't think so. Because I think that today, the value is not in... It's worth $1 billion in valuation. That's my point. But the value is in the data mining. The value is in the subscribers. The value is in the members. Netflix couldn't be Netflix if it didn't already have millions of subscribers already to tap into. Amazon couldn't have started making movies and, and starting a studio if they didn't already have a ton of subscribers. So that is, in my opinion, that is where this is all heading. Because when you get on Clubhouse, you have to connect to other social media too. So all your info is what they have. So if you guys are on Clubhouse or you're planning on joining in Clubhouse, Mike and I are on it. Follow Jack Rico, Mike Sargent at Clubhouse. We'd love to have you on and ping you. We'll be doing stuff. We already did a room there just, you know, for tests, for beta purposes. And it was a lot of fun. We actually ended up getting Keith McWhorter to come on for a little while, which was awesome. You know, that's the cool thing. It's like some celebrity or, you know, person of interest in the business will join in and hop on and just talk about their trade secrets and what they're up to. Dude, it's almost like, like having, going to a party where... Kanye West could drop it any minute, you know? And you're like, what the? It's like an open door party. Like anything else, it becomes part of your life. It becomes how you interact with people. It becomes part of the social. And more importantly, what you said at the beginning, for black and brown folks, it's a way to amplify our voices. It's a way for us to connect. Wow, we have one of the great voices of the voiceover industry in Joan Baker. I didn't know her. You introduced me to her. I didn't know her story. And once we started talking, holy moly, man, this woman blew my mind. Because, you know, in, in, in the world of Hollywood, voiceover actors are underappreciated. Absolutely. They're, 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 they're very underrated, yet they possess so much talent And what we decided to talk about with Joan Baker, which is one of the premier voiceover actors in the business. Victoria's Secret introduces the Lacey. The sexiest, softest, laciest lingerie collection ever. I could do, you know, character voices. The judgment of justice is now upon you! 
she really laid out exactly how we can break into the industry for voiceovers. If you have a nice sounding voice and people have told you, hey, you have a great voice, you should do some voice acting for commercials or trailers, you should get into that business. Joan talks about how to get in, how you need to do it, how you need a coach or an agent, the equipment that you need, what they're asking for, how you can be successful. But more than anything, I had a problem for a long time asking about diversity in the trailer voice world. Every single trailer that you've heard, Mike, the movie trailers, like something like this. In the year 2017. In a time of tradition. In a city where anything can happen. In a war that isn't his. Every day in New York City. On the Miami Police Force. In the deep south. From the sewers of Gotham. Those are usually white men. Where or who is the black voice movie trailer guy? Like, where are these guys? She answers it for the very first time, and I think it's a great conversation about an industry that is full of talent, yet doesn't, isn't really talked about too much. We are talking with Joan Baker. She is a multi-award winning voiceover artist. She's got an organization, which she's going to tell us about. You've heard her voice many, many times from many, many networks. And she's a woman of color. And she's rare. Not as rare as she used to be, but she's rare in this industry. And uh, first, I want to ask you, Joan, because I know you as an actress. I know you as a person. I know you as a voiceover person. How did you get into voiceover and, and what was it like when you started in terms of uh, being a woman of color? I just want to say hello to your audience and, and hello to Jack and big hugs to Mike, who I've known for decades. But when I first got started, it was in 1991. So that time, there wasn't even many jobs for women, in particular in commercials and in particular in TV promos. TV promos are when you see promos promoting a television show or a television network. And, and the, both of those genres, it's probably the most money that anyone can make in voiceover unless they're a celebrity doing cartoons. So it's very lucrative commercials and, and TV promos. When I first got in, it's not that I stood out so much as a woman of color, I just stood out as a woman getting a top agent in the industry and getting sent out on, you know, all the top brands that you could audition for at the time. But in commercial genre, there wasn't many jobs for women, only in women kind of products. So it's only been, you know, basically in the last, over the last 10 years that now almost all you hear on television is women doing all kinds of products. Mm -hmm. And now for the first time, it's really relevant women of color and men of color, but women of color since I'm a woman. And uh, so now it's only been like literally like hot now where I'd say even before the pandemic, it was fine. There was definitely the diversity and the inclusion was definitely top of mind, but not like it is now. Now it's on fire. Well, Joan, um, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. One of the things that Mike and I had been talking about in terms of brainstorming topics and subjects um, was diversity in, in voiceovers, uh, but with a focus particularly in movie trailer voiceovers. So Mike and I, for a long time, you know, one of the things we've always connected on is like the trailer voice, you know. Mike will once in a while, you know, just, just for shits and giggles, he'll be like in a world, you know, like very Don LaFontaine. And every time he does it, every time I crack up and you know, everybody, everybody loves the trailer voice. But then a few weeks ago, as after this post world, George Floyd world, everything started to be reassessed, reanalyzed, you know, critiqued with a very fine eye with a racial lens on top of it. And one of those sort of categories that I had never really thought of diversity was the trailer voice. Like when we watch a movie, how many black and brown brothers 
are the voice of our favorite movie trailers since we were born. And I've been doing I've been doing research and there are very, very, very few. And I wanted to know why that was. And if you had any insight that you can give us, why there why why Mike Sargent isn't the next Don LaFontaine? Why isn't there a black or Latino mainstream major movie voice trailer in our industry? All right, wait, wait. Before she answers that, Jack, I gotta let you know. I met Don LaFontaine through Joan Baker, just so you know. Oh, my God. I met him through Joan Baker. Okay. Get out of yes, here. Yes, and we back and, and forth. It's like, in a world. It off. We did. So I have to. Wow. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Well, I, I, I'd like to say that the movie trailer genre on its own accord is a very, very, it's the only area in voiceover that it's really very kind of small. It started out small. It started out with a couple of Don LaFontaine one and, you know, a couple of, of white voices, right? Don LaFontaine was someone that people thought he was black. And I think at the time, you know, with uh, people that uh, in charge of hire, that was fine. He was him. He sounded black. Perfect. Right. But there is a trailer man named Al Chalk. I think he's since retired, though. He did a lot of movie trailers. And actually, you would have thought Don LaFontaine was Al Chalk. And Al Chalk was more like a Don LaFontaine in terms of the voice quality. Like when you hear Al, you wouldn't necessarily recognize him as black. You'd yes. say white. And you hear Don LaFontaine and you if you didn't know him, you'd think black. So... So this reminds me of that Rick Astley and Adele, something they have in common is that they are both white who sound black. I mean, even Amy Winehouse also had that issue that a lot of people thought that she was black. And when we encounter white people sounding black and having that extreme amount of success, it makes you wonder. Yeah. You know? And so it just so happens it was, you know, Al Chalk. I can't even tell you how extraordinary this man uh, was in his career doing movie trailers. So I just want to say that movie trailers has actually changed. I don't know if you've noticed, but now movie trailers don't use much voiceover anymore. You're right. You are right. Why is that? What happened? You know, again, in the movie trailer world, there was a couple of go-to men that movie trailers went to. They never went past that. And they never went past even hiring a woman. Now, I'm talking about movie trailers in the movie theater. I'm not talking about movie trailers on television, right? But movie trailers right. in the movie, that in the movies, that was actually, to me, a very, the, the, the philosophy behind it had become very dated in terms of only use men. Because there's a lot of research that's done on voices, right? This is how some things get dictated in terms of advertising and promotion, is that they will do a lot of research. And then people will say things like, I don't want to hear a woman's voice. This is actually women talking. I don't want to hear a woman's voice. I want to hear a man's voice. He sounds more authoritative, you know, more more sexy, more romantic. And then advertising agency takes these this research and they take it very seriously. And then they don't do another research thing for a decade. So a lot of what you're here in the movie trailer industry are things that should have evolved but never did because the research showed them at the time that people just want to hear men's voices. And, and, and once upon a time, people did without thinking, oh, I'm being sexist or, oh, I'm being racist. Well, I was just going to say, isn't that yes, sexist? But voiceover is probably the only industry that you that exists that you could call up a producer and he could say, oh, we don't use women's voices and still have a job the next day. Right. How are the laws structured that that is allowed? Because everything is done by type. And and on top of it, no one's seen. Right. So it's not like I'm on camera and people are saying, oh, we don't use women. No one would ever say that about on camera because it. The world is made up of men and women, but also the the world is made up with enormous amount of voices. 
and all kinds of voices and there's not a face to attach to it so a lot more a lot more things you can get away with in voiceover because you're not seen so well you know go ahead so go ahead, i was going to say you know when when certain networks or certain advertising agencies have their philosophy they just stick with it the movie trailer industry has always stuck with men doing movie trailers doesn't matter how much protest you know from the voiceover community it doesn't matter uh you know how how might hard you might uh work to break in it it and it doesn't necessarily happen because you even know someone they just stick with that philosophy because why it's not been broken so don't fix it that is a huge mm. philosophy in the industry because there's so much money at stake so if something's not broken in terms of a way of doing something, they're not going to try to make a breakthrough. They're going to stick with what they know because it works. That's the philosophy. Well, the, well that, that, that's for any industry. Well, you know, you said something very uh, significant here, too. And Jack was mentioning, too, you know, diversity in voiceover, uh, but not just voiceover, but voice characterization, like what you were talking about, these these actors, the, these yeah. people who were doing these this interpretation where they were acting, they were performing. It is only this year, this yeah. June, that The Simpsons said they will stop having white actors voice people of color. That's right. Now, that's literally, that's 2020. It just, yes, no, happened. It's just happened. Just happened. As a matter of fact, at that's voiceover, I interviewed Alex Desert, who took the place of Hank Azara in his character Carl on The Simpsons. So he is a black mm -hmm. man that is now doing a black role. Now, this is the thing about this, and this is the controversy, that there are people that are really quite insulted that now roles will be considered for if it's a black character, they'll consider a black person doing it. Oh man. Because, and this is you can't no, win. No, you, you can't, can't win. win. No, what this is, is this? why. Because there are some people in acting that go, I can act anything. You know, why should I, you know, be not considered be limited, right? right? Because I can act. It's like, guess what? Whoever books the role will still have to act. So why not? book someone that matches the background, the culture. I mean, we're in a society now that people want to see real and authentic. And that's what's definitely uh, taught in voice acting is to really bring your authentic self to every read. I mean, this is like analyzed and over and over and, and dissected and talked about. So it's about being real. So some, you know, for example, there were some characters that were biracial in some of these cartoons that they were voiced by a white person. Those white actors gave up their roles. This is during COVID in June. They gave up their roles because they realized that they could not bring something authentic to the role, where before it was like, oh, an acting thing. But now they realize because of uh, being enlightened as a country, that they did they couldn't bring that cultural experience to the character it's not something you you don't need to direct that out of me that's something that's going to show up anyway and that's what people are listening for and looking for is is to match these cultures and diversity why it it's show it's the world you know the world isn't made up on one note the world is made up of many different cultures and and colors and flavors why not represent that in a cartoon character? But but the big thing is, you know, I can act. I can act anything. Like, guess what? <laughs> you actually can't act everything. And right. and why wouldn't why would you even think that you could act a black man character or a or a Latino and bring that experience to the character? You couldn't. You you go from Hey everybody, how you doing? You know, I'm a white guy here, and all of a sudden, I'm talking like That's a black right. man. You know, I, I, I don't. Spoof. I'm like, it's a spoof why do they think that they could get away with making fun of? Why. I mean, to me, it's the equivalent of blackface, yes, but it's like vocal blackface. You know how many? I've never been so sought out for my experience in my life when June hit. I I did an article for NBC 
both Rudy and I did an article for NBC, uh, NBC News. Um, I was in the Washington Post. Uh, I was in the New York Times. I'm serious. I could, I could. Oh, I, wow. I saw yes, you on Vulture. Vulture.com. Talking about color conscious yes! casting. Yes, yes, yes. And that's the name of the game now. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, what is wrong with that? Nothing. You know, let me ask you something from the other side now. Uh, just as as a okay. black man okay. who has all my life, I had people say to me, oh, you don't sound like a black guy. You know, oh, you talk like a white guy. Oh, you, you sound white. When I was a kid, it was it was black, other blacks, guys telling me, yo, man, why are you sounding like, why are you talk like a white guy? So that's oh. that's where I get that. Okay, so, so, I hear you, well, believe me, I hear you. a lot hear throughout you. many many years of my life. I don't sound white because I've heard a lot of people who are white that don't sound anything like me. But what I think you're saying is I sound intelligent. So if you're saying that to sound intelligent is to sound white, then who's really brainwashed? You know, whoa, whoa, white. That was my comeback. That was my comeback. <laughs> Jack and I have both talked about Jack, you know, the way Jack sounds, he's not Latin enough, but he's not white. And I'm, I'm not black enough, but right. I'm not white, but you know, so they don't right. necessarily. Yes, Joanne, I've been telling you since the beginning exactly. that I do not sound Latino no, enough. No, I, you're right. I would it's, never know you were Latino. Exactly. Ever. <laughs> no one ever really figures it out. Funny. Until hasta cuando hablo español. Entonces oh, ahí wow. ya se acabó la cosa. <laughs> that's a lot of people in voiceover. By, well, not a lot. That's actually a highly sought out skill mm -hmm. that your English doesn't have a trace of an accent, like not a trace like yours, and that you can totally do and be, you know, Spanish, represent that language, and you have it down to the hilt. That is a sought after skill right now. So actually, wow, you're in. That's right. You're in. So bilinguals, a, bilinguals really do have an edge. In. Yes, they have an edge. I admire that edge. I mean, and I, some of my closest friends are bilingual voiceover actors. And literally, when you talk to them, you wouldn't know anything. And then all of a sudden, they're doing, you know, Latin promo. And it's like, unbelievable. Unbelievable, the, the range in that. And voiceover is all about range in the end. It's all about colors and range. That's also part of the confusion with hiring a black to play a black, hiring a Hispanic to play Hispanic, right? That's also part of it. It's like, I have range. I can do anything. I, I'm an actor. It's like, well, so do I. We have range too. Right. So we, then, Joan. We'll have to act too. So, so then, does color conscious casting actually work in favor of the quality of the work? Yes. Now, I will say this. The actual actors in that genre, some people feel a little bit insecure because they actually haven't been sought out before. So they're not in front of the microphone as much as perhaps our counterparts, right? Because they've been sought out this entire time. But now all of a sudden, people of color are being sought out. So if you talk to a voice actor of color, sometimes we'll be in a conversation about, you know, I feel kind of insecure because I've been hired and, and it's not like I'm hired all the time. And it's truly because we've never been sought out like this before. And these jobs that are being sought out are prominent jobs. So the pressure is on kind of. But once you start getting hired more and more and you start experiencing what it's like to be in front of the microphone being directed by all kinds of people, you will develop the confidence, even though right now it may be a little harder because it's like new. But I'll tell you the, the joy that this has now happened, uh, it's, it's indescribable. It's also unbelievable, but it's indescribable. So people are, you know, able to take advantage. But again, you know, what we're talking about in terms of not sounding black or not sounding Latino, 
I also think that will also evolve into an appreciation for that as well. And not necessarily nailing, you know, a certain kind of stereotyped voice. Uh, I, because I've had so many Latino friends, I definitely, if I hear somebody on the phone, they could be sounding what sounds like, let's just say the untrained ear, perfect English. I'm like, I yeah. totally know this guy or this woman yeah. is Latino uh, because I know what it sounds like. I know it's slight, but it's there. It's, it's just how they pronounce other words. So uh, it sounds uh -huh. to me like what you're saying is, is this color, this color conscious casting can just broaden our view of what black sounds like, what Latino sounds like, what Asian sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It will broaden and actually educate, educate people, not just people hiring, but people listening. Now, I think, too, more and more voice acting, it used to all be like hidden behind the scenes. Now, more than ever, and I feel this is partially due to Society of Voice Arts and Sciences, are bringing faces to the voices of voice acting. So now people are starting to see and I mean all over the globe, they're starting to see what people look like and what they're voicing or how their voice sounds. So people are starting to, I think, get educated with, no, you don't have to sound stereotypical. You can be who you are and be appreciated for what you bring to the table with whatever background you have. So it's not all, it's not <laughs> right? all because of Morgan Freeman. <laughs> well, Joan, I'm going to have to make two exactly. movies and put exactly. Mike's voice in it. But, you know, and in the other one, I'm going to put the Joan Baker trailer voice in my other blockbuster yours. movie. Oh, oh you, got, you got to hear. Joan was on my, my, my old demo. I have Joan on my demo. My old demo. <gasps> That's yes, right. So. That's so. right. Oh, Jones, my gosh. That was Jones a wonderful the best voice. <laughs> guys think in terms of color consciousness and how it's just I mean literally a couple months ago sprung so so heavily and not just you know in other areas in the you know industries but in particular voiceover what do you guys think of that I want to get into voiceovers myself I just feel like it's another outlet that I haven't really um, pursued and committed to, but mm -hmm. it's something that I've gotten a lot of practice. A, I used to work in radio. Then I left that for television, forgot about the audio aspects. And what ended up happening with podcasting is it allowed me to get more comfortable with my own voice. And then I did a television mm -hmm. show in English and in Spanish. Wow. And I had to do 52 episodes worth of English and Spanish voiceover for that show that was a half hour show every saturday 26 episodes in english 26 episodes in spanish Incredible. and i had to vo all of that scripted and you know give a persona that wasn't necessarily my regular speaking voice and so when i saw my when i heard my voice on national network i was like what that makes me a professional <laughs> I can make money off of being a professional VO guy on a television show. And here's the, here's the, here's the TV episode with my VO work on it. And so I said, you know what? That could be a great way of making some extra money or if so not, I, you know, a lot of money. I, I, I'm going to tell you a way to break into voiceover that it, it, do, it will take effort because there is actually a lot of competition. So this is, kind of the the way to break into voiceover although there are many ways that can show up but this is if you don't you know you're you're interested you don't know how to do it and you need the guidance to learn so you want to get a coach and i don't mean a teacher that teaches a class i'm saying a individual coach that is how voiceover is learned and that way you you not only get the expertise of the coach in terms of uh, um, guidance, in terms of how the industry works, but then how the industry could work for you. Then you're gonna study the craft of voice acting. It's 
It's the craft of voice acting because it's in front of a microphone as opposed to a camera, which is a very different skill set than being in front of a microphone. And then you're acting. So you're, you're not kind of reciting things or reading things quickly. You're actually acting them. You're becoming a character or uh, even though it's a real character and not a spoof. Also, um, the only area a newcomer, meaning you don't make any money in voiceover, the only area you can get an agent in is the commercial advertising area in voiceover. So when you get a coach, you would be studying commercials. And there's so much to learn about mm. advertising in commercials. And that is because in commercials, all kinds of voices are used in commercials. But the technique and the skill set behind it has to be top notch. Again, we have to compete for our work. So if you're going to compete, you have to be you have to have some mastery over it. So mm. so an agent will not take on a newcomer unless they have a commercial demo reel. And that demo reel is set up very specifically. So if you come in with a demo reel that is not recognizable to an agent, they will not take you on or they won't even listen to the demo reel past three seconds. So now this is an audio. This is audio. I mean, you know, now in voiceover, people do use and these are these are spots that you are, are created um, and it has to sound exactly like a commercial, including the production. So that's why you hire, because this is money that you are investing in a career. So you'd hire, through your coach's help, you'd hire a director and an engineer that would that would create your demo reel. And they would create it, a good one will create it in the way that an agent would expect to hear it. And not everyone knows that. So the 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 people that you choose to support you have to be experts in voiceover if you're going to break in. And again, mm. the area is commercial. So you could say, or I could say to you, what do you want to do in voiceover? And you say, I want to do video games. Well, one, there's not a video game market really here in New York. Video game market is huge in LA, but it's not really big in New York. There are some opportunities, but you would definitely need an agent to understand or know those opportunities, unless you're someone that's a hustler. So, so your demo reel is the lock is the key that unlocks the door and that you have to be very versed at and very good in and your demo reel has to represent again what a agent would be used to hearing once you get an agent then you could say to them i want to do video games i want to do you know narration i want to do promos trust me when you start auditioning for those things and you book that that's all the agent will think about for you it's very, you know, kind of type voicing in voiceover. You tend to get hired for the same things once you get hired, but it's not necessarily your choice. It's what the it's what the industry dictates that dictates your niche in voiceover. When I got into voiceover, I, I did do a commercial reel. I auditioned a lot for commercials. And then one day I went on a commercial for a promo and I booked it. That's all I did after that, basically. I mean, I've done many commercials, but I'm saying my bread and butter came became TV promos because that's what the industry dictated my niche was going to be. And I had never even heard of it. I didn't even know what it was, but I happened to book it. And I've been enjoying promos ever since. So. The, the industry actually dictates your niche once you establish yourself as a commercial voiceover actor. The only way that this would not happen like this is if you were already in voiceover and you were already making literally six figures in another area. Then you may go to an agent and they may take you on totally and you will continue doing your niche you know, your narrations or your cartoons, but because you are bringing money to the agency already, and you're also bringing an audience, mm. an audience of people behind the scenes that hire you. But if you're a newcomer and you, and you don't have any, you're not making any income, you have to start commercials and you have to start from there. And in order to do that, you need to get a coach. And there's not like a list of coaches anywhere that you can necessarily go to, although there are some websites that list coaches. But, you know, you could always Google top voiceover coaches and they don't necessarily have to be in the area you're in. Right now, 
all the coaches are working off Skype, Skype and Zoom. So for example, I have many clients all over the United States and including Europe because of Skype or Zoom because I have access like that. When I first started coaching, which was in 1993, um, I only had local people, people in Manhattan, because that's the way it was. But now there's, you know, my reach is so much further because of Skype and Zoom. And now that we're in the pandemic, everything is on Skype. Everything is on Zoom. So there's a lot of access that you have, but you need to get the right person that, that is tuned in to the wonderful people the, the skills, the access, the um, people that you can kind of network with and, and get further with once you get some technique under your belt. But other than that, it would be very hard to break in. agents, casting directors are asking talent to send them pictures of their home studios or to videotape their home studio so that they can see that they're going to get the quality they need for it in order to be on television. Yes. So that's been since the pandemic, but I mean, people will ask you to videotape or take pictures of your studio. Because it can't be less than most people, you know, had a closet and they had a microphone and they would audition that way. But when you get a job, you go into a studio. You don't necessarily work from your home. People tend to do that in promos. They tend to have really, really great studios because that's how that setup is. But in general, you always recorded in a recording studio with a director and engineer. But now you're being directed over Zoom and you've been asked to provide you know, proof of your booth and your microphone and and the interface that you're using so that they are guaranteed broadcast quality sound on television or radio. So the industry has changed in the sense that things that used to happen later on in your career now have to happen at the beginning of your career if you're even going to be considered. And that is due to circumstances of the pandemic as well as technology and how it's advanced. So I guess the number one thing I'd say is get a coach that can truly inform you about the industry and about the craft. Ta-da! <laughs> Joan Baker. Joan, I mean, you gave me tremendous perspective. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad. About the business already. So and people can, thank people you. People can go Very to uh, Sovas, which is S O V A S dot org. Um, I, my um, contact is there as well, but they can certainly check out the event we just did called That's Voiceover. Uh, extraordinary event, by the way. And we're about to do the Voice Arts Awards, which uh, ABC Good Morning America called the Oscars of voice acting. We're, we're actually honoring this year Mark Hamill and Dr. Henry Louis oh, Gates. Wow. Oh, I love Henry Louis Gates. I know, Lewis right? Gates. So we're, we usually have more honorees, but because it's now being live streamed and online, we had to shorten the program and things had to be converted into the virtual setting. We, are, we, we announced nominees. We announced the winners. Mark Hamill has his uh, acceptance speech on film, and his presenter is Tom Kenny, who's, who's uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, Dr. Henry Louis wow. Gates is winning the our, we have an award called the Muhammad Ali Voice of Humanity Honor, which is um, sponsored by the Muhammad Ali Center. Muhammad Ali, two months before he died, he signed off on the award being in the likeness of his face. And there is no award like that for Muhammad Ali, and that's due to his religion. So I don't know why the miracle happened that he said yes. We hired a renowned sculptor, and both Lonnie Ali and Rudy, um, my partner, were very much in on how it was being shaped. We took pictures along the way, everything. But it's an extraordinary award. Van Jones has won it. Ken Burns has won it. And this year, it's Dr. Henry Louis Gates. So. If you go to sovas.org, you'll find everything you need. Joan, thank you. You guys, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Joan. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Joe, we're, we're definitely uh, we're way overdue to, to catch up at some Mike, point. When, when this, this is all over, so. drinks, yes. drinks, drinks, and some food. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Us. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this 37th episode of Brian and Black. We'd like to thank Joan Baker for hopping on the show. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow us in our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. This episode was edited in part by Joshua Tirado. We'll talk to you next time on another episode of Brown and Black.